What's up, world? I'm your host, Angelica Beener, and this is Milestones, a new podcast where my special guest and I take a deep look at landmark albums that are in a milestone year. I am so excited about today's guest. She is an NAACP Image Award-nominated multi-instrumentalist, composer, vocalist, and recording artist who is ascending as one of the brightest stars in improvised music today. In addition to touring with her dynamic quartet, she has shared stages with an incredibly impressive roll call of artists like Diane Reeves, Kenny Barron, Jack DeJanet, Terry Lynn Carrington, John Hendricks, Harry Connick Jr., John Batiste, Audra McDonald, Patti LaBelle, Gladys Knight, Shaka Khan, you see where I'm going, on and on. And speaking of on and on, we can add Erica Badu to that list as well. Uh, she tours internationally with the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra, and she is the first woman in 30 years to tour and perform two full seasons uh, full-time as a saxophonist with the world-renowned orchestra. She's appeared on BET's Black Girls Rock as part of their all-star band and is a two-time winner of the ASCAP Herb Albert Young Jazz Composers Award. She hosts a bi-monthly mentorship series for young women uh, musicians that I should say, young women musicians called the Haven Hang, which is a Q&A advice hour with women in various aspects of the music business. Her instrumental and vocal workshops include jazz and pop culture, an interdisciplinary look at the influence of jazz in American culture, and women in jazz, an overview of key vocalists, instrumentalists, and female-led bands. She is an all-around powerhouse, and she is a hometown hero hailing from New York City's borough of Queens, and she also attended my high school alma mater, LaGuardia High School of Music and Art and Performing Arts, so that's some personal icing on the cake for me. I am so very pleased, delighted, and honored to welcome Camille Thurman to the show. Welcome! Thank you so much, Angelica, for that awesome introduction. <laughs> you are more than welcome and more than deserving, so let's just jump right into it. I know that you are taking some time out to talk to me that you really don't have because you are so busy this week, and I wonder if you could share... <laughs> a little bit with our audience about what you've got going on this week. Sure. Well, I'm actually in, I've been preparing for an amazing opportunity that I'm really honored and blessed to be uh, doing this week um, on, I believe, Thursday, J June 10th. I'm going to be performing as a guest artist with the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra playing the music of John Coltrane, specifically a Love Supreme. Come so. on, somebody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no big whoop, you know. <laughs> that is amazing. <laughs> Now, Camille, yeah, it's a huge honor. <laughs> I would imagine so. And so, Camille, you are quickly rising and well deservedly so as one of the premier tenor saxophonists of your generation. And I know that Dexter Gordon has a very sweet spot in your heart as one of your primary early influences. But what does it mean to you to be with this particular? orchestra doing the work of this particular artist and this particular album it's so surreal I mean just the last two years working with the orchestra that in itself was like you had to pinch me because I didn't even believe that that was actually happening and it's an, that's been such an incredible experience just working with all the men and diving into the music but then also just really exploring the full spectrum of this music's history and being able to really go in depth and with not just understanding the history of it, but also playing the history of it, which you don't always get a lot of opportunities to do, specifically in one band consistently. And then when they asked me to um, be a special guest doing the music of John Coltrane, it was just like, holy cow. <laughs> because I mean, John Coltrane is a hero to myself and so many other saxophonists. He's the reason why we wanted to play the saxophone. And then also even bigger than that, just the message that he lived by through his music and it, the, just the legacy that he left behind. It's, it's enormous. And it's 
a huge honor to be asked to, you know, fill in those shoes and play his music and pay him honor and respect because he's, he's a hero to myself and so many people. You know, you brought up something really interesting. You were talking about how this particular material, A Love Supreme, is so apropos to the times. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I know that, yeah. yeah, and you are, in addition to being just a brilliant saxophonist, vocalist, multi-instrumentalist, multi-instrumentalist, you are also very tapped in socially. And I feel like mm. that informs a lot of your work. So can you talk to me a little yeah. bit about how this album um is so timeless because Love Supreme is what, 65? I think it's 65. I believe so, yeah. Um, yeah. What what does it uh, mean oh, to you? I know, right? The timelessness of this yeah. record. Mm-hmm. Yeah, can you speak yeah, to Yeah, it's it, definitely, it's, it's crazy that you say that because even looking at the year that we just went through with uh, Black Lives Matter, and with so many social issues kind of coming to the surface that have already been there, but now really boiling to the surface to the point where people are having conversations and making and creating spaces to talk. This record taps into that. It touches on humanity. It touches on um, understanding our connection with one another, but also to the most high and being able to see how what we do and our life and how we serve our purpose really serves a bigger cause than ourselves. And you can see that with Train's work. His music, you hear, it's like you hear him searching, trying to find that true meaning and value to life. And whether you're a jazz lover or not, anytime you put on his record, you understand that universally. And I, I think that's what makes it so special because at this time right now, we're in need of being able to universally understand one another and, and take that step of having empathy and having um, understanding of knowing, okay, I hear you. Let's work together. Let's figure this out. We're living in the same space. How can we, how can all of our voices be heard? How can we make living in this space better for all of us? If there's somebody that's voice needs, that needs to be heard, that's not being heard, let's come together and speak up for them. So that way, we all can be counted. So there is equality and also equity, but he, you could hear that he lived by that in his music. And I'm really happy that we're getting to showcase a love supreme because that's what it's all about. Humanity, understanding for one another, and most importantly, trying to be the best that we can be as individuals and as you know, fellow neighbors to one another on this earth. Absolutely. Because like you said, we're not living in a, in a, in a vacuum or in a bubble. We have to share this spinning rock as best, you know, we can. And when I think of anytime I think about someone like train, someone like Malcolm, someone like uh, MLK, someone like Fred Hampton. And I think about the fact that I, in this moment, am older than all of those people. I lived longer. Mm. All of those individuals, you know, it's like, it's not lost on me that we can make these kinds of um, impressions on the world at a really young age, you know? So even though they didn't live long lives, even though their legacies, you could say were cut short, if you will, um, even though I don't think Mm -hmm. the that the most high makes any mistakes. So, you know, they lived as long as they, they lived. Um, but yeah. it's so inspiring to see that mm-hmm. you know what we, whatever amount of time we have here is it, we can always do something really important. Right. And making sure that you make the most of it count as much as you can. Cause like you said, not all of them live long lives, but the amount of the impact of what they did while they were here for that short time has lived such a long time exactly beyond so yeah exactly now this record a love supreme this is a record because like you said Mm -hmm. 
you don't have to be a jazz lover to know this record, right? So this is one of those records that, right. you know, hip hop artists talk about and folk artists talk about and everybody knows this record. Mm-hmm. It's like one of those universal albums. When did you first hear yeah. The Love Supreme and how did it, how did it affect you Ooh. when you first heard it? First time I probably ever heard it was in high school. And I remember just anytime you talk about Coltrane, there was like this feeling of like, whoa, that's serious and deep. <laughs> just not just musically, but just being able to, uh, to tap in to what he was, was, was doing. It was more than just the technique. Yes, it was amazing what he did. But then also understanding that there was a, a, a spiritual aspect to the music too, that you have to live life in order to be able to do that and get that to translate through your instrument that humbles you. Because <laughs> it's like, if you're going to mess with this music, you need to really study it. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes. Yes. I think, yeah. you know, it's funny. Growing up, I, I'm named after a tune that Duke Ellington wrote, but it was from the Duke and Train, yeah. record, you know? And that's so, right. Right. So the Coltrane was just like, I didn't have a choice. Like I came out the womb, Coltrane out, you know, but funny yep. enough, A Love Supreme wasn't one of the albums that I heard a lot until same around high school, you know, I, yeah. I, you know ballads, my favorite things, Giant Steps. Um, Cause I guess mm-hmm. it all depends on what your parents are listening to. And then you happen to be in the right. house and you hear what they hear. But exactly. when I first heard A Love Supreme, it was like being hit, hit, in a in a good way it was like being hit by a Mack truck in like the best way yeah. it was like what what is yeah. this you know it just I, a matter of fact I'll tell you I was around 12 actually remember oh, wow. how it yeah. played I was young yes remember at the end of Mo Better Blues uh-huh and <laughs> you know Bleak finally gets his his woman back and yep. it's pregnant and they play the uh-huh. first with the sunset and everything and you see her stomach like a new child is being birthed I was like it's so perfect <laughs> I mean I, I ain't even got to tell you exactly it was so yes. spiked use of music that's a whole nother subject that's a whole nother episode yeah, that's but a like, whole nother episode <laughs> exactly but I just remember being like whoa it was, yeah. it was majestic it was so uh, deep yes so let me ask yeah. this before we move on to, I know our, our audience is wondering what album we're going to be talking about, but there is always room for train. We will make room for John Coltrane <laughs> in any conversation. Definitely. Um, I wanted to ask you, do you have a, and it could change from, from year to year, month to month, day mm-hmm. to day, but is there a particular part yeah. of that beat that is like particularly moving for you right now is there a part of it that you you know uh, whether it's pursuance or acknowledgement or you know yeah that's a tough one because oh man it's, it's funny because my husband is a musician and we've both been talking about this album just listening to it because he's been dealing with me practicing and checking it out and really digging into the music and I can't really pinpoint one exactly because I mean, some people will just kind of write it off as, oh, he's just playing the blues. It's like, nah, it's it's deeper than the theoretical understanding of what's happening harmonically. There's that spiritual aspect that he's touching on and it leads him to be able to have this openness to how he approaches each piece within, I, I, I like to call it the suite, because even though it is the blues, he's approaching it from a real raw, honest and open perspective so some people might be like oh well you know he just does that train thing it's like nah there's a bigger concept that he's linking through each piece so that even though the piece stands on its own there's still something like a universal thread or a concept that he's really trying to, to to get at um and of course for me if I had to pick one I would I would I would say psalm because mm-hmm. When I hear a song, whether it's with, um, even if he's playing on another song like uh, Blue, Blue Train or, or The Sleeper, 
even though Psalm is sitting on this minor chord and it doesn't really harmonically move, that same spirit of, of playing with this authority and with this command, like he's almost like giving a sermon, is still there. Even though the band is not swaying and it's just, no, he, it's like all that's stripped away, but it's still to the core, the essence of what it was, whether it was a blues or if he was just playing on one chord and just playing something that spiritually touches the person. That would, I would say, be my favorite one off of the, the album. Wow. That, that's, that's just beautiful and brilliant and really just gives so much perspective to this record. Um, and, you know, you brought up something about it sounding like almost like he's like a preacher. It's not lost on us that, yeah. you know, he comes from a, a, a back, does, yeah. a, the church, you know, his, his family, his grandfather, yeah. you know, um, preachers in the family and all that kind of stuff. And I don't think yeah. that that ever leaves you when you're when you're no. born into that sort of you know spiritual you know or you know religious or spiritual foundation yeah. it stays with you it it does and I think that's the beauty about just him as a player because even when you check out the progression of his playing throughout his his career when you look at a love supreme it's like a culmination of everything that that made him who he was from his his upbringing to even his development with Miles and with everybody, and even to that the point where he 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 goes off on his own and he, you hear him trying to pull together these elements while searching for what he's hearing. Love Supreme is kind of a representation of everything coming together. So it's not just the train from Prestige or the train from Miles Davis. No, it's like this is train the person the being the artist Ooh. so yeah if i play a blues actually it doesn't even matter whether it's a blues or not it's it's still going to be to the core who this person is and i think that's what's beautiful about it because many times when we deal with i guess you could say jazz education we spend so much time focusing on you know the harmony the rhythm the chords the, the this and the that the dot mm -hmm. the i the crop the t's the rules are great to know, but what you hear with the Love Supreme and even the other stuff that, that Train has done, he's like he, he's like he's breaking beyond the, the limit of, of, of the mold of what it is. It's like he's trying to find something that's freeing, that opens it up. Mm. And you can hear that. You can really, really hear that. So it's not just a blues. No, he's he's really... He's doing the calls. He's doing the shouts. He's doing everything, whether it's something with some crazy changes or even if it's something simple as a blues or even if it's just simple as one song, it's the message is the same. Wow. That is so profound. And, you know, the way that you're speaking about him and speaking about speaking about his legacy and the lesson, quite frankly, that we can all learn from this uh being that type of a vessel in your mm -hmm. archery. Yeah. I have no doubt that you are sowing all of that, that this ancestor left us into your tribute. And so I just want to say, you know, we're all, anybody who's going to have a chance to join for this, they're going <laughs> to be in for a treat. I can, I already know because you're already bad on this. Come on now. You are one of the uh. baddest out here and then you know you've clearly got you got it in terms of his ideology where he was coming mm. from what he felt his purpose was you know so I, yeah. I'm so thrilled they they couldn't for, for all of the reasons they could not have chosen a better person to help celebrate my favorite musician of all time so I'm so excited <laughs> so can you tell everybody uh, um when and where and maybe how we can check this out sure it's gonna live stream thursday june 10th at 7 30 p.m eastern standard time and you can go to www.jazz.org and you can also of course find the ads on instagram and facebook where they'll be advertising it and it will be available even after thursday i believe they're going to leave it up for a few days so if people want to watch on demand the streaming they, sh they certainly can fantastic 
I'm so excited about that. I'm so, so, so excited. <laughs> so I'm going to go ahead and get us into this record so that you can get back, sure. to, back to the shed. <laughs> and so everyone without further ado we are Camille and I are going to be talking a little bit about a record that is just absolutely phenomenal it's celebrating 60 years Mm -hmm. this summer and that is Ray Charles and Betty Carter yes (laughs) so do you remember the first time you heard that record? Ooh, the first time I heard it, I was, I believe I was in my late 20s. Because, you know, I heard of Ray, I knew of Ray Charles and I knew of Betty as separate entities and what they did their own right. But the first time I ever heard them together was singing a song every time we say goodbye. And it blew my mind that they that, that they even recorded an album together. I was like, say, what? <laughs> That was ingenious just to, to, to make that happen and document it. Hello. <laughs> you, you get to hear the coming together of two unique people. I mean, we associate Ray with, oh, you know, he did the rhythm and the blues. What did I say? But then you associate Betty with, okay, okay, she was suggesting. No, nah, but they bring both, each of them bring what's unique to them. And it's like, it goes beyond the genre. Absolutely. And I, I think that's what's... I think that's what's beautiful about them because for us young folks, (laughs) we come after a time where everything's categorized and this and that, but you can hear clearly, they just made good soul music. And it didn't matter whether whether there was an orchestra backing them up or a a rhythm section or not, it was just great music. And you hear that this whole album, it's like, you can't define it with one genre, it's everything. Exactly. And it's interesting that you brought up what I say, because that was around like 1959 or something like that. And that was his first, I believe, I'm a fact check this. I think that was his first number one (laughs) single. Don't come for me, guys. (laughs) Uh, But I think that was his first number one (laughs) single, you know. And it's interesting because he could have rode the wave of you know like you said it's that rock and roll you know whirling, mm-hmm. you know the whirlitzer and that whole thing but he he was like I am the wave you know what I mean like yeah. I'm gonna do me and I'm, whether it's yeah. western or whether it's you know jazz uh whatever mm-hmm. it is I'm gonna do it my way and I just found it so that's right that sort of as he's beginning to sort of reign over this decade he does a record with Betty Carter, who is, yeah, right, who's like amazing in her own right, but still very much like a rising star, right? You know, um, Camille, did you hear? So, in prepping to talk to you, I read something and I don't know if it's true, but did you ever hear that Miles recommended Betty for this album? I didn't know that. I don't know if it's true, but apparently Betty, while she was like on the road with Miles, mm-hmm. he recommended her for this album. Wow. I got to look into that. Yeah. Check it out. I, if it's true. Wow. I read it in a couple of sources. I said Miles was always ahead. He always knew what would work. You know? Yeah. 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 I, I wanted to ask you a question. I read an interview you did with Ashley Khan for the mm-hmm. current issue of Jazz Times. If you guys haven't checked it out, it's a fantastic oh, yeah. interview. Um, check it out. It's in the June issue of uh, Jazz Times, where you were quoted as saying that sort of due to our stillness at the height of the pandemic, where we all kind of just had to sit the heck down for a while, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> you um, found yourself listening to music differently now and as a result, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as it pertains to things you mentioned, you said the way musicians taper their notes, phrasing, nuances of harmony, arrangement, interaction. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that was so interesting. So in terms of both of these artists, I wonder if you could answer individually for both. What have you grown to appreciate over time uh, as you yourself grow as an artist mm-hmm. about both Betty and Ray? 
that's another <laughs> that's gonna be another podcast oh man I mean okay Ray there is nobody like him I mean just his voice the quality of his voice the range the the the, the, the texture the color what he did with his voice it was like I if you think of other male singers Okay, if you want to get specific and think about male jazz singers, there's very few that come to mind with a distinct voice like, man, that's that's a voice that I, it would stop me dead in my tracks because I have to listen to. I mean, sorry for the other ones. I mean, there's the other great ones too. But I think when it comes to like a distinct voice, that's, I mean, of course, yes, I love John Hendricks too. That's another different thing. But when you're talking about the jazz vocalists, male jazz vocalists, especially when it comes to singing ballads, there's there's two that come to my mind right away, and Ray is one of them, just the quality of his voice. But then, like I said, he could sing anything, literally anything, country, jazz, rhythm and blues, soul, um, you name it, a cover of somebody else's song. And he just has this unique quality of putting that Ray spin on it that makes you just feel like man I recognize this sound but it's so irresistible I mean when you think about it like okay this man took the roots of gospel music which at that time was forbidden to do because you're not supposed to be messing around come on now taking church music and then putting some lyrics about everyday situation kind of stuff that don't happen in the church he did it he did and it. he was a genius. He revolutionized American popular music, particularly R&B, rhythm and blues. Like you see him when you think of rhythm and blues because he was the one that, that found that magic of, okay, storytelling about people's lives with some elements of the blues, but also some elements that people recognize that come from the sound of the church. That's it. Period. That Absolutely. was it. Yes, <laughs> Period. yes. And, yes. And that was just like, wow, nobody else was doing that. Nobody. And then, of course, Betty, she's unique in her own way. I mean, I don't know any other vocalist other than her who has this unique ability of really letting the lyrics tell a story and using the her phrasing to, to be as imaginative as po- as she could possibly be. Like, Ooh. I can't think of anybody else like that. I really can't. Because like even when you think of what she did with Giant Steps, I mean, first off, she's vocalizing. Not a lot of people, not a lot Ooh. of vocalists <laughs> take daring steps to, to vocalize, let alone Giant Steps. <laughs> okay. Hello, that's, that's, that's something, the- yeah, exactly. Yeah, but she she showed that you can be a vocalist and be all up in the band as an instrumentalist too and be 100% just as important as everybody else in that band hitting hard. And I can't think of any, but any other vocalists that came with, excuse my French, the, the kahunas oh, to yeah. really do that. Oh, we do French and on lead. this show. We do French. You're good. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, just her, her, her artistry is just, it's just amazing to me yeah yeah she just had the gumption to really take chances and really explore every aspect of the voice not just looking at it as okay I sung the music the melody perfectly and nice now it's the band's no she was all up in there like I am I'm with I'm part of the band I am within the band my voice is an instrument and I'm going to communicate with you I'm going to be dynamic with it but then also I mean outside of the music as a businesswoman she was bad man this woman was bad she had her own label at a time when not a lot of black artists had their own label she was selling tickets buying the concert hall and selling her own tickets having people come and see her concerts at a time when promoters weren't probably running to book right she was taking care of business herself amazing which yeah (laughs) and she she was so ahead of her time with that because I feel like in 2021 we're still figuring that out Mm -hmm. you know we're at a point where we kind of have to it's like sink or swim now yeah you know and she oh yeah understood that she was ahead of us yeah she was ahead of the game 
especially and also being a woman running a label, mm-hmm. a woman running the yeah. show. I mean, you know, I look at her when she's performing and she's she's also like a band leader while she's performing. Yeah. It's, Those arrangements. Hers. Her let's signature. Talk. Let's talk about that, you know? Yeah. And, and speaking of arrangements, I, I, I also wanted to talk to you about that. Mm-hmm. Um, this album is obviously, you know, beautifully orchestrated. Um, Marty mm-hmm. Page did some it fantastic is. arrangements. Um, some of the criticism of this album, but also everything from Clifford Brown with strings to, mm. you know, Tina Turner, when she did river deep mountain high with uh, Phil Spector, I find that whenever there are musicians who are more black artists who have a, for lack of a better term, a raw edge to them, like a Tina, like a Ray, there's always this, uh-huh. you know, a, you, Betty. a Betty, you, you, you see where I'm going. Mm-hmm. A lot of time, the criticism. Oh, I see is, exactly where you're going. Yes, <laughs> there's this criticism that, like, oh, these arrangements are so sappy and they're so flowery and they're they're putting all this they're 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 softening them up too much, and it's like mm-hmm. almost as if black musicians are supposed to have this primal thing to where they can't be raw. yet raw thing to where they can't be accompanied by a violin. Mm-hmm or a, a cello or whatever. What are your feelings about, mm-hmm. you know, pop albums? <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I know you're like, oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, but what, what are, what are your feelings about Ooh. the, I, the, that whole subject? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, not much has changed. Mm. <laughs> I'll tell okay. you that. Okay. Um, and there's always this fine line that I feel people of color, particularly black artists, kind of have to dance at because it's either too black or it's too watered down. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember who said it best. You have to just, I can't remember who, who, who quoted it. He was like, I play good music. Mm-hmm. I don't play particularly any kind of genre. I play good music. I play music from my experience as a person. And that's who I am. What you hear is what you're going to get. There is no filter of, of me trying to adjust or amend mm-hmm. who I am and, and, and how it comes out. This is what it is. And I think, I mean, you, you could think about it since the beginning of the, of, of the inception of record labels. That's why they created genres. That's why they created race records. That's why they created all these classifications to keep tabs and pins on how the sound is being heard and how it's being marketed and sold. Um, even going back to Bessie Smith. Hello. You know, when, they, when she started singing more of the popular songs, people were criticizing her about, oh, you know, you're not singing it anymore. You know, it's like, well, part of an artist's job is to, to express express and be their true self they're going to only do material that they could relate to so even if it means crossing the fence and tapping into other quote, quote genres or other ways of telling that story they have 100 liberty to do that because that's part of them developing as an artist that's part of them sharing who they are as a person mm-hmm. so if they want to have some orchestration behind them why not and uh, if they want to get to the raw side and really get to the nitty gritty, why not? There's not just one side of a person that you're going to see when they perform. And that's what makes this music incredible. I think I was talking with Antoine Roney one time and he was saying, you know, especially when it comes to Black American music, Black music, what makes it special is that we're in the moment. Mm. So you can't just market off of just repeating one thing and that's that's the definition of what is no it's part of the person's experience they might have a they might be experiencing a certain kind of day that's what you that music will you get that tomorrow night no because they're going to have a different day so what you hear is just a snapshot of that time at that moment in that space and what makes this music irresistible and amazing is that you never know what you're going to get any day or any time or any hour so let the artists have that. 
let them be. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I think that's such a beautiful way to put it. And that is the inherent sort of magic of Black music is yeah. exactly what you just described. And I would just add to that, that I feel like a lot of times there's this sophistication that's associated with orchestras and strings and, you know, um, and, and what people would maybe consider Eurocentric music um, being uh, superimposed yeah. on Black music that, you know, right. that we are not as sophisticated or, you know, and so there's this, there's this, it's like a fake compliment. It's like, you know, oh, well, Clifford Brown is such a brilliant musician. Why does he have these sappy strings behind him? I think what you really want to say is a little, is something a little different, you know what I mean? And so I just, I just really, I was, I'm so glad that you, you know, um, had some passion, such, you know, a passionate response to that question. Cause that is something that just grates at me, you know, like anytime you read a review about, yeah. you, know, you know, this record or any record where, you know, black artists are working with fuller uh, orchestrations. And mm -hmm. one of my favorite orchestrators, the great Charles Stepney uh, talked about mm. this as well, you know, about how, you know, why is it that, you know, black music can't, that that can't be yeah. a part of it or for that matter that there aren't brilliant black classical composers and 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 they and, are and they're in, of them. hello and they're in the pit they're in the they're in the orchestra you yeah, know we're everywhere i mean that's a whole nother podcast you probably gonna have to feature i mean the opportunities that are available for these artists because the doors that you have to, to go through the leaps that you have to make i did a um a haven hey i think a couple of weeks ago patrice russian and she was talking about that oh and my how God. when she was young how she met quincy jones and he asked her straight up at like 12 13 years old what do you want to do she was like i want to be a composer i want to play i want to and he was like i'm gonna be honest with you it's not gonna be easy but it's going to be worth it. If you, if you really want to do it, you're going to have to put up a fight and how years later she ended up reconnecting with him and just that little bit of insight and him telling her the with, with a few words, letting her know what the challenges were going to be, but at the same time, the understanding that, Hey, there's room for you too. She was like, I wouldn't have never known had he not talked to me or even had taken the time to let me know. Wow. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's beautiful to hear that you know yeah. she was encouraged that that she was able to cross paths with someone who was going to encourage rather than discourage right it's so easy for people to discourage black right mm -hmm. and then see it being done which she kept saying too like we would go to rehearsals and see the copyists see the arrangers see the right. people in the pit so if those opportunities are made available to young people in their development years, but then also just in general, if their opportunities are made available to people that don't, wouldn't normally have those opportunities accessible, now you're gonna start to change something. That's right, that's right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, um, there, there's obviously been some incredible duet albums over the years um, mm -hmm. of Ella and Louie, Carmen and Sammy, um, so many albums we could think of, right? But as someone who is both a vocalist and an instrumentalist, mm -hmm. what, what do you, what is the magic of this particular duet in, in, in your mind? And at mm -hmm. yourself, when you're singing, I've seen you do incredible duets. One of my favorite, um, you actually posted recently, but I was there when you and Sharonae Wade do Cherokee together. Yes. Oh my goodness. It is something to behold. And so, I, oh yeah. And so I wanted to ask you what, I guess it's a twofold question. So what is it about Betty and Ray that creates the magic that it does? And- mm. What do you as an instrumentalist and a vocalist, 
what is it that makes you feel like, wow, now there's the spark there. Now we're, yeah. now we're cooking with grease when you're working with another vocalist, because a lot of times it's very idiosyncratic. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, there's improvisation involved. There's all this stuff. So yeah, what, what is it for you? Sure. Chemistry and trust. Ooh, mm-hmm. you gotta have that chemistry. Um, because when you're, when you're, whether you're performing as an instrumentalist or a vocalist, you're being honest. It's coming from a real pure place. You're being transparent. And if you can't be real, it's going to be hard to connect with another musician, especially another vocalist. Mm. And if you don't like that vocalist, oh, is or like that instrumentalist, it's not going to happen. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> you got to be able to listen to each other and you got to be able to trust each other. And if you're coming in already with your, you know, like, nope, your walls, it's going to be really hard. Mm-hmm. so I mean for me Charnay I love her she's my dear friend and she's an, a bad behind vocalist and composer yes, and arranger yes, she and is. she's she's also like one of, one of my closest friends so when we get together and whether even if it's just simply being silly and making up a song about something stupid in the moment there's just joy in making music with her because we can relate with each other. We're un- we can understand each other, but most importantly, have fun with each other mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and trust each other. Trust. Got it. Yeah. yeah. You hear all of that with this record with Ben mm-hmm. Ray. It's so you interesting. Do. They, the album, the sequence, it's like ballad and then mid-tempo or uh-huh. up-tempo swing and then back to a ballad. You know, they yeah, it goes right of- back. Exactly. And regardless of what kind of tune they're doing, you hear, first of all, I think it's really interesting to me what I hear the record, I hear Ray really following Betty's lead. Yeah. No, like vocally, I, I feel like he's really saying, you know, I'm following you. Yeah. Which I think is pretty hip. Yeah, it, it is pretty hip, especially for baby it's cold outside. Now let's get <laughs> let's let's just jump right on into it. Okay. Let's go right to that song. You know, it's funny. I grew up with that vinyl and mm. my mother played the shit out of that record, but she would always play it from side B first. So the first song oh, always, the B-side. she was a B-side lady. So Baby, it's cold outside was the first song I ever heard. And I want to tell mm-hmm. you something funny. You would appreciate this. Okay. So, you know, the bed on that, 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 okay. So look, so I heard it. Don't laugh, but I used to always be on a total other side of the beat with the intro. I used to hear it almost in six, eight. So I would hear it like this. Wait, let me try to see if I can get it. I would hear it like this. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. I no mean, wrong way to hear something, I guess. But it's all coming from the same space. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. <that> three. <laughs> okay, yes, exactly, exactly. But that song, and it's funny because this album has been out of print for years. I don't know why. That's probably some corporate estate issue stuff, but um, yeah. label bureaucracy. But yeah. that song in particular has only gotten more popular, more renowned, mm-hmm. more love. I remember mm-hmm. when, you know, they played it on a different world. We were, you know, yeah. Yes. And so... I'm sure that you've heard that song by other artists as well. What is it about? It's not like, what is it about this version that just talk to me about that song? You could just hear the play between the two. And the crazy thing, the subject matter of the song is about being in the winter during the holiday season. And this man, you know, he's trying to talk to a lady that he's attracted to. And she's like, you know I'm trying to be nice but she's still kind of maybe a little bit flirting with him but play, messing around with that toying of I want to flirt with you but no nah, I really gotta go but okay I'll maybe play with it's, it's about just being people yes and I think that's what like my husband and I were talking about this today because I told him I was like you know that song actually got banned on the radio and he was like what but one thing 
I really feel like our, our society does is we cancel things and take things for face value when we really have to look at how people communicate because it's not always that cut and dry of yeah. that's what it is, cancel. This is really talking about the dynamics between a man and a woman, about a man wanting to m- kind of express his interest in a woman and the woman knowing that I got the control of I could play in this or I can just kind of be like deuces with you. But I'm just going to play with this a little long to see how far I can go with this. But I mean, if I want to bounce, I can bounce anytime because it's going to make him want me more anyway. But exactly. that kind of dynamic of, you know, the man is trying to be the man, the woman's trying to be the woman. And there's a, a tease of the relationship that possibly could be. And maybe not. But really, the woman is the one in the situation with the, the control of what she wants to make it to be. And that is something because if you think about it, when we talk to our grandparents or our great grandparents and they talk about what it was like, it was, it was different from today. We're like, yeah, you know, I went on Tinder and I dated like 12 people on like, you know, five days. No, <laughs> people didn't really go on dates like that. In fact, you had to have your family come with you. On that. <laughs> How about that? So yeah. any little type of interaction that you could have with the play of the words or even with just the poetry or whatever it was, was something to savor because it wasn't like you were giving everything away. You were taking what was, ha- what was happening and being able to just embrace that moment for what it was and live off of believing what it could be so that next time when you see them, who knows? And if you, if you don't see them, well, I have something that I, I cherish, you know, from that memory of that experience. And that's what this song is really, I think, about. Embracing those, those uh, encounters of being able to play with those dynamics. Wow, I'm, I'm blown away by what you're saying because I, I, I struggled with how to approach that part of the, that very, that elephant in the room mm-hmm. with you. You know, I knew we would have to talk about that. And I said, I don't know. Right. And so I'm so glad that you broached it and your perspective is really eye-opening for me. And it's so interesting. I think what you're talking about in terms of cancel culture and things like that is so important. And I have always felt that the woman was in control in that song, right. you know, you know, even if we want to, you know, uh, obviously, you know, the lyric, so, you know, say what's yeah. in, this, in this drink, you know, that, that that's obviously, you know, Holiday season, nine times out of ten, is eggnog with some. It's a it's a there. shot of some. It's a shot exactly. Yeah. You know, but in these days and times, you know, when we're you know dealing with you know some of the the stuff that has happened with you know mm-hmm. figures in our right. figure, you know, folks, where you know right. it wasn't a shot of brandy per se. Um, yeah, you know, I think it you know it can complicate the narrative, but to your, yeah. to your point. I have always felt that the woman was in control in that, in that song. And, you know, and she's, it's so interesting when I hear Carmen do it, you know, it, it, it makes me laugh because, you know, (laughs) Sammy really ain't got no chance with Carmen McRae, you know, Um, you know, that, that really ain't, you know, gonna happen. But, um, and and even, yeah, exactly. And, (laughs) you know, even the way she, uh, she giggles on the record where she's almost laughing at him. Yeah, my like, bro, it, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> Whereas with caught with with Betty, there's a as you said, there's a there's a bit of a toying there, you know. Yeah, and even as she, even some of the notes she chooses, like that. Right. Band, like, I got to know. go home. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, and I, I love it. Go I love home. it. Because yes. I'm telling you, I got to go home, but maybe I don't have to. <laughs> exactly. I love it. Or that line was, I just love yeah. it. I love, just, the, you know, just make you do a little something where she's probably yeah. on her shoulder or something, you know. Yeah. I, I agree with you. I think that, you know, before we cancel things that, right. you know, before we make blanket opinions about that kind of stuff, to really see that life is nuanced yeah and it also too it's it's showing how 
people relate to one another, which is the one thing that's missing from our culture today, because we don't relate with each other. So that's why we cancel things. Mm. We don't really socialize and we don't really have conversations with each other. If somebody is interested in somebody, you just send them a text. There's no personal interaction. And that song is about the personal interaction and the dynamic that's at play with the situation of a man being attracted to a lady, but the woman realizing, hmm, let me see how far I can take this. Right, right. <laughs> I interested in my mind not, but I'm just going to, you know, have some fun and see what happens. Exactly, you know? <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. and, and on top of that, and guess what? And you're going to be okay with whatever I decide. Right. How about exactly. that? You know, because yeah. I feel like it, it ends. I think that's the thing. It doesn't end with, um, you know, I feel like you don't really know what happens, you know, or you, don't. or, you know what I mean? So you're left wondering. You're left wondering. And it's, yeah, I think it's, I, I think it's endearing and every version of yeah. it that I've heard, there's a different color on it, you know, but um, this version ends up going to the top of the R&B charts, mm-hmm. which is interesting yeah, um, because you had these two artists and I'd love to talk to you about that too. Betty, bona fide musician that comes out of the black improvised music idiom, Ray, mm-hmm. the same, you know, people mm-hmm. forget that before he did this record, he did a whole instrumental album. He did the, you know, Ray Charles presents David mm-hmm. Newman, right? So that's right. And a saxophonist himself, he was. Yes. Pretty and killing too. Right? The first time I saw that, I was like, wow, that was mm-hmm. really, really impressive. Um it blew my mind. Right? It's really something. And speaking of saxophone, I've heard Betty's, and of course we've all heard this, that her they liken her voice to a saxophone. And you know, huh. so that, do you hear that as a saxophonist and a vocalist? Does does that does that ring true for you? because I never really imagined a horn I just heard it as Betty and that's interesting that you say that because with with with, particularly with vocalists that scat for me I don't associate them with the horn I hear them as being their own instrument I love that yeah I love that so I'd love to talk about you know, just a few more of, of the tracks. You talked about every time mm-hmm. we say goodbye and that being oh, the first favorite. Is that not just... It's just beautiful, the orchestration. And then what I love about it is the modulation. Come on. <laughs> Come on. He's going to start in E flat. And end and up in, what is it, A flat? A flat. And it was oh. like, every time we say goodbye. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, effortless and he's singing it so strong and rich and beautiful and she's just coming in like Betty just every time we say goodbye you know I die a little <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> how she's just it's almost like she's talking both of them it's almost like they're talking but singing and that's the thing I didn't think about this until you just said that I think one of the reasons why they work so well together is that they both are singers that you either really, really get it mm-hmm. or, or you, don't. you don't kind of thing. <laughs> like, yeah, right, exactly. Yeah. And so when you put, wow, Camille, okay, so yes, you have that times two. Mm-hmm. That's part of what makes it so special too. It's not like it's, you know, Betty and, I mean, and Nat King Cole is literally one of my favorite singers ever, mm-hmm. but that's a singing, singers, singing, singing, yeah. singer, singing, singer, singer. <laughs> and, yeah. um, you know, um, but with, with Ray, it's really a lot more idiosyncratic as mm-hmm. is she. And so yep. t- together that just works. Yes. But yes, that modulation mm-hmm. is everything. Shout out to Mary yeah. I mean, that is just, that's an ingenious moment. In, uh-huh. in the tune it, it really really is um yeah. do you have any other favorites on the on the album um those are my main main two I mean I love the other ones too but mm-hmm. for me I, I guarantee you'll find on my playlist 
particularly those two. <laughs> yes. I, I will be together again is one of my other favorites. That one's a good one. Yeah. That's what a good I want, what I also appreciate and love so much about this album is it is so quintessentially Ray in terms of his pianistic mm-hmm. approach to it. He, it's so the way he just, particularly the way Ray can outro a song like nobody else is just, oh. And that's the other thing. Like what, like what, just what you said, nobody really talks about his strength as a pianist too. Yes. Yes. So underrated. I mean, similarly with Nat, I'm like, Nat, mm-hmm. to me, Nat could sit down and play after any, anybody, any of the, think of your favorite pianist and Nat can totally hang. Yeah, totally. But we just, it's such an underexplored part of their musicianship. So yes, I think you're right. We have to, I would implore everyone it's black music month and what Camille, you know, you were saying about while we have this time, I mean, I know the world is opening up, but like mm-hmm. while we have this time to be a little bit more intentional about like how we're listening to music to go ahead and just really appreciate the things about artists that are glossed over. Yeah. And so I, I know we're running out of time, but um, <laughs> what would you um, what would you say about this record 60 years later? It's turning 60 in August. Oh. And, you know, and like it's 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 as I said, it's been out of print forever. And, you know, people probably know the hit Baby It's Cold Outside because it's been mm-hmm. licensed everywhere. Everybody knows right. it. But like what would you say about this record, you know, all this time later? Like, oh, man, I mean, it, it's a true testament to great music. Yeah. And just everything you could hear the, the, the attention to detail and the song choices, the way they ordered it on the album. And then even just the voices of Ray and Betty and how they were able to use their unique voices in telling the stories for each song, which had a complete, each song was a different story, but they were able to just kind of create it, give it life. Yes. Yeah. Their, their uniqueness and their phrasing and the timbre of their voice and, and how they relate with one another. You can hear that, wow, these people, they, they really had a chemistry together singing. They really, truly did. And I yeah. I read that they recorded that album in one day. I got to know. What? I think I think that's what I read. Yeah, like it's something like nine Ooh, hours or something like man. that. You need to step it up today. Okay. <laughs> I mean, with the technology, they had a computer, but we have today and they did that in a day shoot. We in a practice. day. <laughs> right, exactly. And it just, I just wish that there was you know, and maybe there is some way I would love to see what they said about one another, how they felt about one another, you know, because that, that album just, and like I said, this is at the height, I think 61, Ray recorded like four albums in this year. I mean, he was prolific at this Mm -hmm. time and Betty in her own right after doing like the Ray Bryant record and, Mm -hmm. you know, she's everywhere and she She was coming up. She was coming up. And this is the record that really kind of true, like it just took her over the top. And, you know, I know that she really kind of after that record, there was this gap where she didn't get her flowers. Or I feel like Mm. I feel like the younger generation was able to lift her up in her winter years. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because if you think about that time you had Nancy, you had. You still had Sarah. You still had Ella. Yeah. But yeah. But, you know, I, I think like what she was saying with the younger generation. She. She still made it happen. Like, you, like she was you had the school of Betty Carter. That's right. That's right. And I think through that, people were able to kind of really, really appreciate her and see that this dynamic woman she was more than just a singer. She was a freaking institution. Mm. <laughs> and, you know, her, her approach to the music and in teaching it to the next generation, I think that's what really helped 
make people realize this woman was really special. Absolutely. Yep. And she was one of my favorites, favorite. She was Carmen McRae's favorite. Car- for yeah. Carmen, as far as she was concerned, she was the quintessential yeah. singer. So just much love to, to the late Betty Carter and the late Ray Charles who were born, I think only about a year apart. Anyway, they were, you know, almost twins. Yeah. So <laughs> I just, it's so magical. It's just, it's one yeah. of those moments in time where it's like that happened. And we don't really have a lot of backstory about it. And the album kind of is obscure now. Mm -hmm. It's so important. And I just thank you so much for for coming on and talking to me about it. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for doing this. Oh, you're welcome. welcome. (laughs) And listen, I would love to have you back and talk about anything, anytime. So please come back. Yes. Oh, I'm definitely down. I'd love to talk some more. There's a lot of couple of episodes we could probably come up with from here. (laughs) Okay. Seriously. And so is there anything other than the tremendous concert that you're doing this week? Is there anything else you want to plug? Anything you've got going on this summer? Sure. Um, I have a new album coming out soon. It's called Spring Awakening. And it's myself, Camille Thurman, with the Daryl Green Trio. So you can look for it online. It should be out soon this summer. Awesome. And then also, if you want to find out where we're performing next, you can visit my website, which is www.camillethurmanmusic.com. And of course, subscribe to the newsletter so we can let you know when we're performing at a city near you. Hey, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Camille, thank you so much. And thank you everybody for listening. We will see you next time.